Hebrews 11, this great chapter um, of faith, giving us these tremendous examples from Scripture of those who walked by faith, those who had enduring faith. Of course, this is the message of Hebrews is be faithful, faithfulness. We come here in this chapter to a very important verse. Right here, it's kind of in the middle, verse 13. I guess we're about a third of the way through. And our text this morning is found in verse 13. But I'd like us to begin back at verse 8 as we come up to this verse. And actually, I'm going to read through verse 16 in our text this morning. Beginning at verse 8, By faith Abraham, when he was called to go out into a place which he should after receive for an inheritance, obeyed. And he went out not knowing whither he went. By faith he sojourned in the land of promise as in a strange country, dwelling in tabernacles with Isaac and Jacob, the heirs with him of the same promise. For he looked for a city which hath foundations, whose builder and maker is God. Through faith also Sarah herself received strength to conceive seed and was delivered of a child when she was past age, because she judged him faithful who had promised. Therefore sprang there even of one and him as good as dead, so many as the stars of the sky in multitude, and as the sand which is by the seashore innumerable." And here are texts this morning. These all died in faith, not having received the promises, but having seen them far off and were persuaded of them and embraced them and confessed that they were strangers and pilgrims on the earth. For they that say such things declare plainly that they seek a country. And truly... it. Surely if they had been mindful of that country from whence they came out, they might have had opportunity to have returned. But now they desire a better country that is in heavenly. Wherefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he hath prepared for them a city. It's a great passage here. And of course, we're dealing with faith. <coughs> Excuse me. What is faith? Come on in. Faith is simply believing God's word. Simple definition of faith. Faith is believing God's word. Of course, in the beginning of this chapter, back in verse 1, there's this description of how faith behaves. It says, now faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. Nobody's paying attention to me anyway, so I'll just wait. (laughs) Faith is a substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. It is the assurance, the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction, the conviction of things not seen. Remember, what does faith deal with? Faith deals in the realm of the future. It deals in the realm of the unseen. If it's sight, if we see it, it's not faith. There's coming a day when faith will have an end. The end of faith. 
when faith is made sight. It's going to be a glorious day when we see our Lord, and our faith will be made sight. But here, faith, the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. What does faith do? As we've been going through this chapter, we've been looking at it from the, I guess, from the perspective of how does faith respond to, and each of these different characters in the Bible presents just a different facet of faith. How does faith respond to God's prescription? There we look at Cain and Abel offering these sacrifices, but what had God prescribed? I mean, there's Cain saying, well, I'm sure God would be satisfied with my best. Wouldn't he? But no, God wasn't satisfied with Cain's offering. It was not what God had prescribed, and Abel, by faith, offered a more excellent sacrifice than Cain. And, of course, by that, he obtained witness that he was righteous. We look at Enoch. Enoch, the man who didn't live very long. He disappeared at the age of 365. Short life for back then. But what happened? He was translated. God raptured him. God took him up. Before his translation, he had this testimony that he what? He pleased God. Who pleases God? What pleases God? In the very next verses tell us, for without faith, it is impossible to please God. You cannot please God without faith. That's a key verse, folks. It really is. You understand what that verse is telling you? You want to please God? There's only one way, by faith. Faith pleases God. And of course, there's Noah. How does, God res- how does faith respond to God's warnings? How does faith respond to God's warnings when uh, it doesn't seem to make sense? I mean, it's never rained. What's rain? A flood? It's never happened before. No, why are you building that big structure that will... God's going to flood the, earth, the whole earth and destroy all the living things on the earth. You better get in the boat. Noah, you're a nut. After all those years of preparing, preaching, the Bible calls Noah a preacher of righteousness, Noah got on the boat. God shut the door. And that was the end of that. Noah was spared while the rest of the world was condemned. Then we came to the life of Abraham. And we've looked at his response of faith to what God had given as direction. What does faith do? Well, by faith, through faith, we understand the word of God. We go back there in verse 3. Through faith, we understand that the worlds were framed by the word of God. Where'd you come from? Where'd this world come from? That's a question they're still asking. And it's been answered. It was answered so long ago, but what what is the world still looking for? The key to the beginning of the universe. And they're sending out space probes, spending your tax money looking for how on earth the world began. Radio telescopes scanning outer space, looking for intelligent life. There's not much here either, but they can't find anything. They're, They're looking. But what does the Bible say? What is God saying? Through faith, let me, let me just give you a kind of a silly application. Through faith, we could save a lot of taxpayer money, amen? Through faith, we understand that the worlds were framed by the word of God. 
There it is. Simple as that. Through faith, we have understanding of that which the world is still questioning. We believe God's word. Then I want you to look back at Hebrews chapter 4. About the importance of faith. In Hebrews chapter 4, the very beginning... Let us therefore fear, lest a promise being left us of entering into his rest, any of you should seem to come short of it. And the very next verse, For unto us was the gospel preached as well as unto them. How be it? It says, But the word preached did not profit them, not being mixed with faith in them that heard it. What does that verse tell us? That verse tells us that the word of God alone is not sufficient to change any man. There are unbelievers who will hear the word of God preached today and it will do nothing but harden their hearts. Just like the children of Israel. The good news was preached to them, but it didn't do them any good. Is it the fault of the word? No. There's a key ingredient missing. And what was that key ingredient? It was not being mixed with faith in them that heard it. They did not have faith. Listen, the word of God will do you no good unless you believe it. Right? Absolutely. The word of God won't do you any good unless you have faith. Just like it did the children of Israel, no good. They came to the promised land and they were not permitted to enter because they did not believe. They did not enter into that place of rest. Of course, it was just a physical picture of the eternal rest that God has for us, for his children. But there it is. What does faith do? Listen, faith is the key to understanding the word of God. The word of God did nothing for them, not being mixed with faith in them that heard it. So here we are in this chapter talking about faith, what it is. How these Old Testament saints saints manifested that faith in these great examples. So let's look at verse 13. Hebrews 11, 13. These all died in faith. These all. Now, it's interesting. When you look at that verse, you think, oh, these all, and automatically think, well, he's talking about everybody he's mentioned from verse 1. We go back to Abel, Enoch, Noah. No, in the context of what he's dealing with, he's dealing with those who were sojourning. He is talking about Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Those three in this context, that's why we went back and started at verse 8. These, speaking of these sojourners, God had called Abraham called him out of the Ur of the Chaldees, called him to go to that land which he would show him. And here he went, not knowing whither he went, but he obeyed. His life was regulated by faith. But it says here in verse 13, these all died in faith, not having received the promises. When you read that, it, it, how, how do you react? Well, wow, they, they died in faith, but they didn't get it. They didn't get what God promised. 
that you know, and it ought to cause you to think, what something something's not on the level here. What am I not understanding? And of course, we got to go farther in the scripture and see what it says. But these all died. But it says how they died. How did they die? They died in faith, still believing, still believing. Abraham on his deathbed did not look at Isaac and say, Isaac, you know, I, I trusted God that he would do what he said and give me all this land. I haven't gotten anything yet. Good luck, Isaac. Hope it works out better for you than it did for me. Is that what he said? No. It says he died in faith, believing God's promises. These all died in faith. How are you going to go? In faith? These all died in faith, not having received the promises. Note verse 39 of the same chapter, because you're going to, we're going to see this later on as we get to the end of the chapter, but note verse 39, and these all having obtained a good report through faith, that means God's approval, all of these having obtained God's approval through faith received not the promise. Ugh. How do you like it when somebody promises you something and then they don't follow through? Isn't that frustrating? I've had that happen before. You mean, somebody says, I'm going, to, I'm going to do this for you, or I'm going to give you this, and, and you, you anticipate it, and then their words fall to the ground, so to speak, in biblical terminology, and, the, and they fail to perform. And in modern language, you're left hanging, right? You're just like, ugh, disappointment. Well, these all died in faith, not having received the promises. Keep your finger in Hebrews chapter 11 and go back to Acts chapter 2. Acts chapter 2. I'm sorry. Chapter 7, verse 2. Here is Stephen preaching his first and last sermon. At least the first and last recorded. He died at the end of it. But here's the beginning of his sermon. He's speaking to the council. Verse 2, he says, Men, brethren, and fathers, hearken. And he gives them a history lesson. They know this, but he is reiterating this for their sakes. He says, Men, brethren, and fathers, hearken. The God of glory appeared unto our father Abraham when he was in Mesopotamia before he dwelt in Haran and said unto him, Get thee out of thy country and from thy kindred and come into the land which I shall show thee. Then came he out of the land of the Chaldeans and dwelt in Haran. And from thence, when his father was dead, he removed him into this land wherein ye now dwell. And he, speaking of God, gave him none inheritance in it. No, not so much as to set his foot on. Yet he promised that he would give it to him for possession. And his seed after him, when as yet he had no child. There it is. Abraham came to the end of his life. And what was Abraham living in? He was living in a tent. He'd been living in a tent the whole time he was in Canaan, moving around, sojourning. He didn't have a big, you know, marble castle or didn't have a huge house that he was living in. No, he was still in a tent as was Isaac, his son, and Jacob, his son, after him. They dwelt in tents, and they sojourned. They traveled throughout the land that God had promised them. 
Yet he didn't. In fact, the only title deed that Abraham held in his hands was the title to a burial plot, the cave of Machpelah, and the field that it was in, which he purchased from the children of Heth. He purchased, of course, to bury his wife. He needed a burial plot. But it was his. God had promised it to him. These all died in faith, not having received the promises. Let me ask you a question. Are the promises of God limited by difficulties? Are the promises of God derailed or limited by impossibilities? Or so we say, well, of course they're not. And we have the scripture record to demonstrate and to show that. But let that sink into your ears. The promises of God, are they limited by difficulties and impossibilities? Let me ask you this. Are the promises of God limited by death? Hmm. Think about that. These all died in faith, not having received the promises. How does the death of a believer affect the promises of God? Well, I think one of the interesting stories in the New Testament is found in John chapter 11. I just want to give this story as a means of illustration. In John chapter 11, we have the story of Lazarus. Lazarus was sick, very sick. And in verse 3, therefore his sisters sent unto him unto the Lord, saying, Lord, behold, he, he whom thou lovest is sick. Of course, when Jesus heard that in verse 4, he says, This sickness is not unto death, but for the glory of God, that the Son of God might be glorified thereby. Now, Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. When he heard, therefore, that he was sick, he abode two days still in the same place where he was. Hmm. That's interesting. Mary and Martha, they're concerned. Lazarus has been sick. Maybe it was COVID-1. I don't know what he had, but it was not good. And he was, he was getting worse. And so they sent to Jesus, said, He whom thou lovest is sick. Help. Come help us. And Jesus said, I have it covered. And he didn't go anywhere. He didn't rush to see them. He stayed two more days where he was. And it says after that, he said to his disciples, let us go into Judea again. So he goes, and these things said he in verse 11, and after that he said unto his disciples there, our friend Lazarus sleepeth, but I go that I may awake him out of his sleep. <laughs> now, you have to be honest, folks. Put yourself in the disciples' shoes. We already know what's going to happen, so we think what they say is kind of funny. But... Well, his disciples say, Lord, if you sleep, he shall do well. I'm glad to hear he's resting. Maybe, maybe he's recovering. And then Jesus said plainly, okay, guys, Lazarus is dead. Lazarus is dead. And he goes on to say, and I'm glad for your sakes that I wasn't there. I'm glad I didn't go. He's dead. I'm glad I didn't go. How heartless. I mean, what must be going through the disciples' minds? 
Well, he goes, and as he comes, Mary and Martha come. Martha comes to Jesus in verse 21 and said, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. Can you, you just sense the frustration. He's gone. He's dead. They put him in a hole in the ground, put a rock over it. It's over. Jesus, you were too late. Thanks, but no thanks. I mean, what was she saying? Lord, why didn't you come here quicker? Why didn't you come when we called? We thought you loved us. We, we thought you were here to help us in our time of greatest need. And you, you didn't come. Did you get the message? Can you sense the angst? Lord, if thou hadst been here, my brother had not died. But now I know, even now, whatsoever thou wilt ask of God, God will give it thee. Verse 23, Jesus saith unto her, Thy brother shall rise again. And Martha, she, well, she knew her theology. She says, well, I, I know he shall rise again in the resurrection at the last day. That's great, but we sure miss him now. That's, I mean, yeah. And what did Jesus say? I love the next verse. Jesus looks at her and said, I am the resurrection. I am the life. He that believeth in me, though he were dead, yet shall he live. And whosoever liveth and believeth in me shall what? Never die. Believest thou this? Do you believe that? What a statement. Martha says, well, yeah, we know. He, he's, we're going to see him at the resurrection. And Jesus said, the resurrection? That's me. I am the resurrection. I am the life. And, of course, we know what happens. What does Jesus do? He walks over to the tomb, calls Lazarus out, and he comes out. And he's alive. Now, let me go back to my question that I asked. Are the promises of God limited by difficulties? Are the promises of God limited by impossibilities? We just read about Sarah, and she had this baby when she was 90 years old. You don't talk about impossible, improbable, unlikely, not going to happen. 90-year-olds don't give birth. She's got the record. There it is. But what did God do? God had promised. And God is as good as his word. Are the promises of God limited by death? No. What is death? What is death? Does death, does death mean, well, oh, well, God didn't answer the promise, so... No. What is death? How does God view death? How do you view death? Hmm. Yeah. These all died in faith, not having received the promises during their earthly life. But that's not the end of life. Death is not the end of life for the believer. It's the beginning of eternal life. But let's go on. 
says here, these all died in faith, not having received the promises, but having seen them afar off or from afar. And he's not talking about a spatial distance like five miles away. He's talking about time. They saw them afar off. Listen, there is more than meets the eye. We've all heard that, that phrase. There's more to life than meets the eye. And Paul speaks of this in 2 Corinthians chapter 4. In 2 Corinthians chapter 4, the end of the chapter, verses 16 through 18, Paul says this. He says, For which cause we faint not, but though our outward man perish, yet the inward man is renewed day by day. Now, you young people don't understand this, but the older you get, you realize that that outward man is perishing. Yep. The hair turns gray. For some, it turns away. <laughs> the warranty expires. Parts need replacing. Some parts can't be replaced. The clear coat is gone. The wrinkles are there. And right, listen, our bodies decay. But he says here, our outward man is perished, perishes, but the inward man is renewed by day by day. Listen, the inward man doesn't age one day past 25. There it is, the perfect age, right? Or whatever. But the inward man is renewed day by day. It's not affected by age. It doesn't deteriorate. And he says, for our light affliction, which is but for a moment, worketh for us a far more exceeding and eternal weight of glory, while we look not at the things which are seen, but at the things which are not seen. How many of you folks were looking at things that you can't see this week? Oh, man, I saw some wonderful things that I couldn't see this week. It was delightful. I was in the Word of God. I could see things that you just can't see. Go to tell that to your neighbor. They'll have you committed. Uh, you know, but what is it? It's the eye of faith. He says, while we look not at the things which are seen, we're not looking at the things of this world. The things of this world, it says, are temporal or temporary. They are passing away. They're not going to survive. But the things which are not seen are eternal. So therefore, look at things that are not seen. Look at things which are not seen. That's the eye of faith. And that's exactly what he's talking about here in verse 13 of Hebrews chapter 11. These all died in faith. They died still believing. Their faith did not wane just because physical death overtook them. These all died still believing not having received the promises during their physical earthly life, but having seen them afar off with the eye of faith, having seen them afar off and were persuaded of them, they were convinced. They were convinced. And they stayed the course. Listen, this is what persevering, persevering faith is all about. Faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. They didn't receive the promises during their lifetime. I mean, look at Abraham. Abraham, nations. I'm going to make you a great people. 
Wow, thank you, Lord. And I'm 75. We don't have much time. What's the plan? Well, you're going to get one. Isaac. That doesn't really sound like a great start to a great nation. I mean, listen, I got a better chance of a great nation with 11, right? No, God starts with Abraham and he gives him one. At the end, towards the end of Sarah's life, when it was physically impossible, he says, I'm going to give you all this land. It's going to be a possession for you, for your inheritance after you. How much did he get? Before he died, he didn't get anything. Did that negate God's promise? Absolutely not. And Abraham knew that. And he looked. He saw the promise afar off. He saw its fulfillment afar off. And he was persuaded of them and embraced them. And that means he welcomed the promise of God. He wasn't skeptical. There was one time, really, that I see when Abraham... I don't know if you say it doubted, but kind of questioned. You go back to Genesis chapter 15. Genesis 15. And there's Abraham. And God appears to him again and reiterates this covenant, his promise. And put yourself, again, when you read scripture, put yourself there. Put yourself in Abraham's place. Genesis 15, verse 1, After these things the word of the Lord came unto Abram in a vision, saying, Fear not, Abram, I am thy shield and thy exceeding great reward. And Abram said, Lord God, what are you going to give me? What wilt thou give me, seeing I go childless, and the steward of my house is this Eliezer of Damascus? And Abram said, Behold, to me thou hast given no seed, and lo, one born in my house, a servant, is mine heir. Abraham's like, that's, that, that's great. Uh, yeah, thank you, Lord, for those wonderful, wonderful promises, but uh, what's going on? I just have a servant who's going to inherit everything if I die. And God confirms his covenant there in that chapter with an oath. We go back. And look at God's promise to Abraham in Hebrews chapter 6. Just turn a few pages back and look at Hebrews chapter 6. In verse 11, he says, We desire that every one of you do show the same diligence to the full assurance of hope unto the end, that ye be not slothful, but followers of them who through faith and patience or endurance, inherit the promises. For when God made promise to Abraham, because he could swear by no greater, he swore by himself, saying, Surely, blessing, I will bless thee, and multiplying, I will multiply thee. And so, after Abraham had patiently endured, he obtained the promise. For men verily swear by the greater, and an oath for confirmation is to them an end of all strife. Wherein God willing more abundantly to show unto the heirs of promise the unchangeableness or this immutability of his counsel confirmed it by an oath. Folks, there's more than meets the eye. These all died in faith, not having received the promises, but having seen them 
afar off. And I give you another illustration about Abraham. In John chapter 8, Jesus was speaking. The people there were being very um, caustic in their conversation with him. There in John 8, Jesus says this. The very end of the chapter, they were, he says, you, you're dishonoring me. You're dishonoring my father. They said, oh, are you greater than our father Abraham, which is dead? Who do you make yourself to be? They were just really going at it. And Jesus said this. In verse 56, your father Abraham rejoiced to see my day and he saw it and was glad. Talk about looking in the future, looking with the eye of faith. What did he say? Abraham rejoiced to see my day and he saw it and was glad. And the Jews said unto him, Thou art not yet fifty years old, and hast thou seen Abraham? Now, mocking. Jesus said unto them, Verily, verily, I say unto you, before Abraham was, I am. And then they went postal. <laughs> they lost it. Okay. They tried to kill him. But what did Jesus say here about Abraham? What did Abraham see? What was God's covenant with Abraham? In thee, all nations of the earth will be blessed. And what did Abraham see? He saw the day that Jesus would come. He says, he saw my day. He rejoiced to see my day. He saw it and was glad. And of course, it could also be understood as Abraham was alive. And Jesus came to this earth. Abraham, what, what did Jesus say? God is not the God of the dead. He's the God of the living. Abraham's still alive. Abraham is rejoicing in the fulfilled promises of God. And by the way, not all of those promises have been fulfilled. There's still the millennial kingdom to come where the rest of those promises that were given to Abraham will yet be fulfilled. It's as good as done because God said it. These all died in faith, not having received the promises, but having seen them afar off and were persuaded of them and embraced them. Romans 4.3 says, And what saith the Scriptures? Abraham believed God, and it was counted unto him for righteousness. Abraham believed God. Folks, that's faith. That's faith. Note the promise that God gives in Hebrews 9, verse 15. This is, a, this is another key verse here in Hebrews. Hebrews 9, 15. And for this cause, he is the mediator of the New Testament or the New Covenant, that by means of death, for the redemption of the transgressions that were under the First Testament, 
they which are called might receive the promise of what? The promise of eternal inheritance. Why did Christ die? Well, this is one of the reasons right here. It says right here, he is the mediator of the new covenant, the new testament. That by means of death for the redemption or the payment of the sins of whom? Those that were under the first covenant, the Old Testament saints. We're talking about David, Moses, Abraham. Christ died for Abraham. Their sins had not yet been paid for until Christ died. Romans chapter 3, 25. How is God just in declaring Abraham to be righteous? Abraham believed God and God said, Abraham, you're righteous. How did he do that? He did that because Jesus Christ was coming to pay for the sins of Abraham. It was as good as done, though in time it had not happened. But in the fullness of time, Jesus Christ came, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem them that were under the law. And here, Hebrews 9.15 speaks of this promise, the promise of eternal inheritance, made available by what? By the death of Jesus Christ, to cover the sins of those that were under the first covenant or the Old Testament saints. Now, we come to the last part of this verse. Hebrews eleven thirteen. These all died in faith, not having received the promises in their earthly physical lifetime, but having seen them afar off, and were persuaded of them and embraced them, and then this, and confessed that they were strangers and pilgrims on the earth. They confessed that they were strangers and pilgrims. The word there, xenos, Greek word xenos, from which we get our word xenophobia, it's talking about a foreigner, one who is not a native, one who doesn't belong to that country. It's uh, the idea of one who temporarily settles down among native people. But it's also one whose opinions, culture, ideas, beliefs, etc. differ from the citizens of that country. If you are a believer, you are a stranger here. You are an alien. You do not fit in. If you fit into this world, then you are a citizen of this world. But if you're a believer, you're a citizen of heaven. And you're a stranger here. You're an alien. Let me ask you this. Do your opinions differ from the world around you? How about your values? How about your beliefs, your ideals? How about the way you live? Is it different? How about the way you look? The way you dress? The way you talk? The places you go? 
the people with whom you associate. Is it different? We are not citizens of this world. In Matthew chapter 6, in verse 33, Jesus says this, You seek first the kingdom of God. You seek primarily, first and foremost in your heart and in your life, you seek first the kingdom of God, and God says, and I'll take all care of all of your physical needs. What has he just said? Hey, listen, don't worry about what you're going to eat, what you're going to put on. Don't worry about these things that all the Gentiles are worried about. Don't seek after the things that the world is seeking after. Look what the world is seeking after. It is everything they're seeking after belongs to this life and this world. It is all temporal. It passes away. It won't be here. But you seek first that kingdom, that city not made with hands, eternal and in the heavens, that which Abraham was looking for. He travels and he sojourns as an alien through this land that God has promised him. It's his. But he's a stranger. He's an alien. And he travels through it his entire life, never owning any of it. And he's an alien. In Genesis chapter 23 and verse 4, when he's purchasing that one little plot, Genesis chapter 23 and verse 4, Sarah was 127 years old. She died. Hebron, Abram comes to mourn for Sarah to weep for her. And Abram stood up from before his dead and spake unto the sons of Heth, saying, and listen to how Abraham describes himself. He doesn't come in and say, by by the way, guys, this is all my land. It's been promised me and given me by God. No. What does he say? He says this. He goes, I am a stranger and a sojourner with you. I'm an alien here. I'm not from here. I don't belong here. I'm a stranger and a sojourner with you. Give me a possession of a burying place with you that I may bury my dead out of my sight. And of course, there he gives them money, purchases the field and the cave, Machpelah, to bury his wife. But he describes himself as a sojourner, an alien, a pilgrim. In Genesis chapter 47, verse 9, there as Jacob is about to die, Joseph introduces him to Pharaoh. And Pharaoh in Genesis 47, verse 8, says to Jacob, How old are you? Jacob said unto Pharaoh, The days of the years of my pilgrimage are an hundred and thirty years. Few and evil have been the days of the years of my life and have not attained unto the years of the life of my fathers and the days of their pilgrimage. What's Jacob saying? I don't belong here. I'm not home here. It's a pilgrimage. David, in Psalm 39 and verse 12. Psalm 39, verse 12. Hear my prayer, O Lord, and give ear unto my cry. Hold not thy peace at my tears, for I am a stranger with thee. 
and a sojourner as all my fathers were. Psalm 119, verse 19. I am a stranger in the earth. Hide not thy commandments from me. I'm a stranger. I'm an alien. First Chronicles chapter 29 and verse 15. Here's the last David's final prayer, thanksgiving. First Chronicles 29 verse 15. For we are strangers before thee and sojourners. We are temporary dwellers. As were all our fathers, our days on the earth are as a shadow, and there is none abiding. Here they were. All of these. It's Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. They died in faith. They did not receive the promises during their lifetime, but they saw them afar off, and they were persuaded, convinced, assured of them, and they embraced them and confessed willingly, verbally, out loud, that they were strangers and pilgrims on the earth. You know, God does not want us to get too comfortable here. And we sing that song, kids like to sing it on Wednesday night, says, what do you want to sing tonight? 708. What's 708? Well, we all know what 708 is. It's the last song in the hymn book, and it's, This world is not my home. I'm just a passing through. My treasures are laid up somewhere beyond the blue. The angels beckon me from heaven's open door, and I can't feel at home in this world anymore. It's a simple little ditty. It really is. It's not complex. It's easy to remember, but it teaches an important truth. This world is not our home. Don't get so comfortable here. You're not going to be here long. Where are your roots? In 2 Corinthians chapter 6, gives us a, helps us to understand why we don't fit in. And it's, no, it's not because you're a homeschooler and don't brush your teeth or use deodorant. That's not why. Okay. <laughs> why don't we fit in? Well, 2 Corinthians chapter 6 and verse 14, beginning there, he says, Be not unequally yoked together with unbelievers. What fellowship hath righteousness with unrighteousness? Let me put it in, in kitchen terms. Water and oil don't mix. They don't. Shake them up. We used to do this in the lab. You've, you worked in a lab, you've got the organic solution, you've got the aqueous solution. you got this separation in the tube when you try to remove certain things. I mean, it's like oil and water. They don't mix. They separate. And that's the way it is with us. What fellowship hath that righteousness with unrighteousness? What communion hath light with darkness? And what concord hath Christ with Belial? Or what part hath he that believeth with an infidel? And what agreement hath the temple of God with idols? For ye are the temple of the living God, as God hath said, I will dwell in them and walk in them. I will be their God and they shall be my people. Wherefore, come out from among them and be ye separate, saith the Lord. Touch not the unclean thing and I will receive you and will be a father unto you. And ye shall be my sons and daughters, saith the Lord Almighty. 
Listen, the Bible is God's record, the historical record, historical record of God removing from the world a people for himself. In the Old Testament, it was the children of Israel. In the New Testament, it's believers. We're called to be what? Salt and light. Contrasts to the world. And salt, salt does not stop the spoiling of the meat. It just simply retards the process. It slows it down. Listen, the world is still going to go to hell. The culture is not redeemable. We're not here to redeem culture. We're not here to take over the world and somehow bring in the kingdom of God because somehow Christians make the world better. No, that's not why. It doesn't happen that way. We're here to slow the process, to make an influence, but we don't belong here. We don't belong here. In 1 John chapter 2 and verse 17. And the world passeth away and the lust thereof. But he that doeth the will of God abideth forever. The world is passing away. What are you investing in? What are you investing in? My dad always encouraged us as kids. He said, listen, take the opportunity. You invest in the bank of heaven. The bank of heaven. What's the bank of heaven? What was he saying? He is saying, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. Jesus said, lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust doth corrupt nor thieves break through and steal. And finally, Philippians chapter 3. Philippians 3 and verse 20. This is a great verse. For our conversation. Now, that's an old English word. And what it means here in verse 20, for our citizenship. Our citizenship is in heaven from whence also we look for the Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who shall change our vile body that it may be fashioned like unto his glorious body, according to the working whereby he is able even to subdue all things unto himself. Folks, our citizenship isn't here. It's in heaven. And what are we doing? With the eye of faith, we are looking forward to what? His return. He's coming back. Are you living in the faith of his return? Do you believe that? Are you eager to see him? Are you ready to see him? All these embrace these promises. They confess that they were strangers and pilgrims on the earth. And if I might add something here, it's not in the passage at this point. It's coming. But I want to tack it on to the end of the message. None of these people we're put to shame. Hope in God is never disappointed. Hope in God is never ashamed. Romans chapter 4 and verse 21. Speaking of Abraham and that son in, that was promised in his old age, 
and here speaking of Abraham, and being fully persuaded that what he had promised, he was able also to perform. Therefore, it's counted unto him, or is imputed unto him for righteousness. He staggered not at the promise of God through unbelief, but was strong in faith, giving glory to God. Romans 9, verse 33. As it is written, Behold, I lay in Zion a stumbling stone and rock of offense, and whosoever believeth on him shall not ever be ashamed. Never. Romans 10, verse 11. For the scripture saith, Whosoever believeth on him shall not be ashamed. You ever been disappointed? Somebody ever given you their word and not fulfilled it? Oh, it happens all the time. But whosoever puts their confidence in God will never be ashamed. Never. Philippians 1. Verse 20. First chapter of Philippians, Philippians 1.20. Paul says here, he's talking about the deliverance that he would have through their prayer. He says, according to my earnest expectation and my hope, that in nothing I shall be ashamed, but with all boldness as always, and so now also Christ shall be magnified in my body, whether it be by life or by death. And the very next verse, he says, for to me to live is Christ. And to die is gain. And finally, 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 12. Paul is encouraging Timothy. He's talking about being having been appointed by God as an apostle and a teacher of the Gentiles. He says, for the which cause I also suffer these things. And we know what Paul suffered. He suffered greatly for the cause of Christ. For the which cause also I suffer these things. Nevertheless, I am not ashamed. I'm not ashamed. For I know whom I have believed and am persuaded. There's that confidence. That's faith. And persuaded that he is able to keep that which I have committed unto him. Until that day. What had Paul committed unto Christ? He committed everything. His life. He will keep me, and I am persuaded of that, and I will never be ashamed. Hope in God is never ashamed. These all died in faith, not having received the promises, but having seen them afar off, and were persuaded of them, and embraced them, and confessed that they were strangers and pilgrims on the earth. And I wish I could go on because the next part's even better. Well, it's all good. You're going to come back next week for that because we're running out of time. But read the next verses through verse 16. Folks, our citizenship isn't here because it's up there. And let me tell you, the amenities up there make this place look horrible. I just read the other day that Mr. Amazon bought himself a large boat. 
He spent $500 million on a yacht that's longer than a football field. It has its own support yacht that has a helicopter landing pad on it. And the man is living like this is where it's all at. And for him, this is all there is. But let me tell you something. The poorest person in heaven makes the richest man on earth look like a pauper. I say that tongue-in-cheek because those who are in heaven are not poor. But look, that's the way the world lives. Get all you can. Can all you get. And sit on the can. Get it for yourself. Okay? That's not the way we live. We're strangers here. We're aliens. What's yet to come is far better. Listen, I hope that's your testimony. I hope your testimony is as these. These who died in faith. Listen, death does not stop the promises of God from coming true. Death is not the end. It's the beginning of the glorious eternity that we're going to spend with the Lord. I hope you're eager for that day. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this verse. Lord, thanks for the examples that we have here of these people who by faith pleased you. And Lord, they didn't receive what was promised during their earthly lifetime, but that did not deter their faith one bit. Lord, help us with the eye of faith to see that which you have promised Lord, to see beyond that which is temporal, to see beyond the things of this world, and to seek first the kingdom of God. For it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Let's stand together as we close, if you will.